been rare over the past few months when news that otherwise might have been perceived as negative, on the contrary, provided support for asset prices. Prime example, with stocks being the primary focus for most folks, the U.S. equity market recently has responded quite favorably to trends that broadly reflect a slowing economy. So what gives? Well, in order to tame inflation, driven as it is in no small part by stout demand for goods and historically tight labor markets, easing pressures in demand and labor should work to calm inflation. Since in the U.S., inflation is enemy number one, or two, depending on who you ask, its demise can't come quickly enough to assure investors that the Federal Reserve won't have to drag the country into a deeper and or longer than expected recession to prove successful in its fight. So news that progress is being made, again news that might otherwise be a negative for markets, can be seen as a positive. Take the report on October 4th that showed job openings had plunged by more than a million listings, or about 10% of the total. One would think that the stock market might sink on that news, which reflects a slowing in demand for workers that could be the result of slowing in demand for goods and services, which in turn could be reflective of a broadly slower economy. But the market soared 3.25% that day. Less immediate, but as powerful of a signal, strangely welcome, broadly speaking, as it might be to investors, is the unprecedented surge in mortgage rates in the U.S. From a forever low of 2.65% set in January 2021, latest surveys of 30-year fixed mortgages show an average rate of 6 and two-thirds percent. That's the highest it's been since June 2007. The important thing to note here, I think, is that since 2007 bit. That is, the U.S. has seen such mortgage rates before. In fact, the average mortgage rate in the 10 years prior to that earlier peak in June 2007 was just about at the level we are now. And in the 20 years prior, it was much higher at 7.8%. So not unfamiliar to many, but it's been a long time. The housing market and industry will take time to adjust to rates that are higher relative to the recent past, but we're pretty sure they eventually will, the likely net result being weaker home prices and slower rates of transactions in the near term. Those trends at some point should begin to normalize as buyers and sellers are forced to adjust to a new reality of housing affordability. Meantime, there's no doubt many are lamenting the shift higher. The average 30-year rate over the past decade has been 3.88%. While it's true that home buyers have been able to secure mortgages at much lower rates for well more than a decade, that fact sits at the very source of the inflation problems we presently face. That is, the same monetary and fiscal policies of the 15 years that have kept a lid on mortgage rates since the great financial crisis have at the same time favored consumption and investment in securities over more durable investment in infrastructure, productivity, and potential growth. The irony of it all is that we spend most of the time between the great financial crisis and the COVID-19 crisis worrying about too little inflation, even deflation at times. And as a result of that arguably singular focus, policies meant only to pull inflation toward and maintain a target of 2% instead fostered the 13-year expansion in the U.S. stock market and the present state of high and widespread inflation in housing and goods. Surplus income and savings just flowed along the paths of least resistance. Why build a factor when you can far more easily buy shares? After all, the thinking probably went, stock prices would be supported not only by other investors thinking the same thing, but also by the companies those shares represent. Companies that, for various reasons, found the return of excess profit to shareholders in the form of dividends and share buybacks more attractive than investment in capital, intellectual property, and productivity. But here we are. Anyway, the jury seems to be leaning toward the thought that monetary and fiscal policies generally could have been more thoughtfully designed. 
And an ongoing extra bit of market duress in the United Kingdom is perhaps the best example of the need to rethink how government entities balance policies oriented towards macroeconomic growth against those looking to restrain inflation. In late September, freshly appointed Prime Minister Liz Truss and her Chancellor of the Exchequer, Kwasi Kwarteng, who's akin to our Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, announced what was referred to as a mini-budget. Mini indeed. That budget is ostensibly geared towards igniting growth, but it focuses entirely on deregulation and tax cuts to get there. Not good, said the average investor. Market dissatisfaction with the poorly designed and communicated policies are among the crazier things we've seen during this bout of market tumult. Clearly the opposite of the episode's title, what was meant to be good news was definitely received as quite bad. The UK's currency, the pound, and its version of our treasury bonds, called gilts, reacted in a profoundly immediate, intense, and negative manner to the announcement, which seemed to resent little more than a, hey, let's try some more of the same and see what we get. Philip from the Bank of England in the form of bond buying that cancelled policies meant to tame inflation that it had already set in motion shortly reversed much of the damage immediately done to investor confidence in the stability of the UK markets. Central bank purchases of bonds, called quantitative easing, is a practice generally considered to have contributed to the current state of inflation. So a flip-flop in its fight against inflation solely for the purpose of countering dumb fiscal policy is an unforced error of the first order. With the Bank of England still mopping up the mess, a token gesture of sanity, dropping the plan to cut the tax rate on top earners, added to the relative calm. Quite soon, however, the reality of a supply-side program to boost growth that relies almost exclusively on substantial and unfunded tax cuts led to renewed pressure on gilts in the pound. And that's because such policies are almost certainly indefensible in the present circumstances, given their potential to bolster, not suppress inflation. And folks generally seem in no mood to offer trust and company any benefit of the doubt. In another time, investors may have simply shrugged at the unveiling, but such is the quite touchy, very topsy-turvy nature of the current investment environment. When presumably bad things are actually good and otherwise minor miscalculations can result in dramatic swings in investor sentiment. The world's on pins and needles, and market activity likely will continue to reflect that anxiety. As near always, we continue to believe, not despite but quite because of the present state of volatility, that investors are likely to find themselves better served by sticking to an existing investment plan. Of course, where additional information, explanation, and guidance may be desired, one may find a conversation with an advisor particularly helpful. Importantly, this podcast is not presented as an investment recommendation. This is not a solicitation to invest in any investment product of Signature Resources Capital Management. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and are not intended as investment advice or to predict future performance. The approach described may not be right for everyone. No one listening to this podcast should take our comments as advice specific to or appropriate for their individual situations. Individual circumstances should be taken into consideration when determining a suitable investment approach. All investing carries risk, including the potential loss of principal. As with any analysis of economic and market data, it is important to remember that past performance is no guarantee of future results. 